This is exciting. I've, I've always wanted to chat with you. Me too. And learn more about you. <laughs> you interviewed me, I guess, I don't know, four, three, four months ago yeah. where we first met. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that interview because that turned a lot of people on to me through Rebel News. Not surprised. Drea Humphreys is with us. And I, I went outside to see where you were. And I peeked, I, I noticed a car parked there and I looked at the window and then I saw you putting your makeup on and then you turned to me and then you yelled at me. This is a true story. Yeah, it's starting from the parking lot because I was putting my makeup on in the car and it's just totally embarrassing when you get busted doing that. Why is that embarrassing? I don't know. A story of my life doing the makeup in the car. At least I was parked. I'm someone who long before I could speak out, I was watching you on Rebel News. To be honest, like fantasizing about like wishing that I could speak out. I'm like, oh my God, not only is this woman like speaking out, she's doing it as a job and covering the hard stories and following all the things. So thank you for that. Because that's that was a you're a very inspiring person in my kind of media landscape. Thanks for saying that. But as you're saying it, it's more like it's a blessing to me to be able to do that, right? To be able to have a platform that you're not gonna get canceled on for speaking truth and sharing that with the public. So I'm very grateful to Rebel News for that. How did you get into working with Rebel News? First of all, I did have a little bit of conflict with speaking out because what I've never shared with anybody on Rebel News or publicly for that matter is that I was a healthcare worker as well before being with Rebel News and actually after. Um, so when you're speaking on the other side of the story with COVID-19 in the health industry, you know, that's a big red flag. So um, but I was a mental health professional, a caregiver, and we cared for people. My husband and I cared for people in our home, like family, um, that were adults that couldn't live on their own. They're not able to live on their own for a variety of reasons. Um, and for me, I was doing that. I was a crafter on YouTube. That was kind of my life. My mom, my, uh, being a mom, two kids. And then the world just went crazy in 2020. Like I hadn't even been following politics or anything. And I was just like, what's going on? I can't craft anymore. So I started noticing that the lockdown was not going to be just two weeks and that mental health was being ignored and that the clients that I worked with or people I'd mentored or volunteered with in the past were being ignored. Um, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're a man who was an addict for years and you got your life back together. You got that job. You're contributing to society. You even got your kid back for four hours, one week, and you got your own place. You are on cloud nine, even if that's a minimum wage job. And now the government was saying, hey, even though you're healthy, you can't work. You you can't see your kid anymore. You're not in the same bubble. And here's $2,000 to do as you will in isolation. And Mm. so I knew immediately that that was going to lead to relapses, deaths, losing everything that you work for. And I saw that to be true. So as a mental health professional, I started speaking out. I went to my first protest in spring 2020 with a mask on (laughs) and uh, outside, even even though I knew the science didn't support (laughs) it at that time. And Hey, listen, I went to Whole Foods with my blue rubber gloves on and, and 95, like in the beginning, yeah. like we, we didn't know, like it was, Me too. I think I even took a selfie and put it on Instagram. Oh, gosh. Like here I am, I'm doing my part. blue rubber gloves. It's like humiliating. Well, yeah, I had actually gone through <laughs> the phase of being terrified of COVID in January because I don't follow mainstream media only. In January, I was watching other sources and I was like, I remember stocking up on N95s and 
grown men coughing in my face and mocking at me. I'm sure they're still wearing two masks today after three jabs. <laughs> but uh, so I went through that and then I started to say like, okay, things are going a bit too far. By the time it was May 2020, you could tell who was most at risk, who was dying. And so I just started speaking about mental health and showing facts to support that. And then I started getting censored on social media. And I was like, what's going on? Like on Instagram? Uh, Facebook. Facebook. It was on Facebook. I lost my whole page because like people, nobody was talking about this. So people were following me and I was like, okay, people want to talk about this. And then they took my whole page down. And Isn't that down. crazy? Yeah. Like when that happens to you, because I, I also, I'm feeling like, the shadow banning. Yeah. And I thought I was being pretty tame. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's, it's a bizarre feeling when it happens to you to actually have the, the idea of censorship feels gross. Mm -hmm. but then when it happens to you, it's like, it really feels like violating or, or I don't know what the right word is. How did it feel for you when you woke up, you wake up one day, you go to log on and your pages. I was shocked is gone. because I had been a content creator in the craft industry for three years. And so for me, you know, it made me, I sort of had a fork in the road. Like, do I go harder and speak out and risk losing my job and my husband's job? Cause we're both caregivers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I took that to God and it was like, no, you use the voice I gave you. And so I did the opposite. I made a new channel and I started going hard. And eventually not too long after rebel news, my first Twitter message was from Ezra Levant, owner of rebel news. He saw one of your videos. And so the rest was history. So, wow, that's wild. Yeah, it was wild. You, sort of told me to stop air you're like we were joking about now you can't craft anymore oh. because it just feels like that happened early on in 2020 when i was kind of going down this rabbit hole like why are things not lining up why did uh you know dr bonnie henry tell us the risk to us was low when she knew that military intelligence said it was high and wait till march 11th like things just weren't making sense so it was hard to craft like I had every video was a sponsored uh, gig and I found myself missing sponsorships for the first time in years. And it was like, do I turn this Dollar Tree item into a spring centerpiece to my table? Or do I try to wake Canadians up about what I think is about to happen? Like that was my <laughs> dilemma. And every time I chose to speak out. Oh my and God. so again, thank God for Rebel for actually providing an income because we managed to maintain being caregivers because we were advocates for exactly the people we cared for until the mandates came last year. So I'm one of the thousands of healthcare workers who are still unable to, uh, you know, help people or even save lives in British Columbia. And uh, Dr. Henry went through many of the industries in the health industry and was kind of like, okay, when's our time? When's our time? Maybe it's not going to happen because remember, you're removing vulnerable people from their home, from their family. And she went there. And not only did she go there, it was six days that they wanted the client out. Of course, that's impossible. It takes months to even find an appropriate family. But that's how little regard um, a so-called doctor has for these types of situations. A lot of us really don't know how deep it goes. This is what I think. And maybe it's because I'm an idiot. I don't know. I, I just figure a healthcare worker, it's someone who works at the hospital and they can't go in there without the jab. So now they have to sit at home. And I forget about where you're talking about these vulnerable people. Can you describe like what it is that you would do? People would live with you? Yeah. So we had one room where a client could come and go live. It could be different people, the same people. And we had uh, one that was like a constant, like our family member. And, um, you know, I can't get into the situations of why they were living with me. But the point is they're dependent on the family. And I had always 
try to give back and find ways. And my mom is such a rock star. I mean, there would be homeless people living in our house as I was growing up. So I was kind of always used to that. And being a caregiver. Yeah. I've never even heard of this before. Well, well, she would just do it. (laughs) Like I'd come home and there's just some random you know, homeless person. And I'm like, Hey, right. Your mom said, I can really? You. So your mom would, would, would meet people. Yes. And be, would have such a huge heart. Yeah. You gotta have a huge heart to, to do that. And then she'd say, come and stay with us for a while. And let me just sort of yeah, help yeah. you out. That was my mom. Really? She'd pick up hitchhikers too, which is really scary. Oh my God. Us, and, we're alive. Where, and, where did your mom live locally or? Oh, uh, we grew up in Maple Ridge. Yeah. And, uh, I was born in Alberta. So yeah, she's a rock star for sure. What an inspiring thing to hear. So you you come home. There's a random homeless person living <laughs> in a spare bedroom. Many times. What a what a life. Yeah. And then you grow up and you end up doing like the same type of well, thing. Yeah. So I was just kind of always brought up. Eventually, she ended up working at a homeless shelter for years. So I would volunteer there and things. And then as I got older and became a mom, it was hard to do that. And then the opportunity to be a residential caregiver as well as I have a degree in psych and things like that um, just seemed like it just fit. You could just care for someone in your home, just give them a loving environment and doing that alone, you know, helps them. And so I never thought it would end this way. Like we thought that that client was going to be living with us forever. (laughs) Like, like, you know, what's that like? I'm curious. The, the very first time you have someone come and live in your home, because for me, yeah. that would freak me out. Yeah. The, the, the drugs, the un- unpredictability, yes, the um, stealing stuff from your home and taking off. Like, I don't know, I, I would be. Well, you do. I mean, the agencies do a good job at, at doing their best to communicate who's coming into your home. And there is some, you know, you get to meet the person before they come in the home and say, OK, it's not like a surprise. Um, but especially when you have kids there is this concern of what could happen. And sometimes things can get dangerous. So you're just always on guard. um, And you have to obviously learn how to deal with people and de-escalate situations in certain times and make sure you have boundaries set up for your children and and things like that. So it keeps you on your toes, 27. But it's also very, very rewarding. And then you must really bond with these people. Yes, we're still in contact. So what exactly happened when this person who was living with you and you thought they were going to be living with you for a long time, an order comes through that says basically now you don't qualify because of the mandates to have someone living in your home. Then what happens? Like they just have to, they have to leave. And where does this person go? Honestly, it, it was, it's such an evil mandate, right? Because I think a lot of people have forgotten about the value of privacy laws as well, which we've totally thrown to the wind um, during this whole COVID thing. But a good caregiver doesn't force their beliefs on the client, right? I'm Mm. a Christian. We don't force that on the client. We also didn't force our views of the vaccine on the client, right? Um, So what had happened was because this mandate, all of a sudden now, uh, you know, the clients know your vaccination status. They know your stance on it. Their friends know it. And it's like, that was one thing that was weird because you would have other people that weren't even your clients, but knew your clients saying, well, can't you just get the vaccine so they can stay? And it's like, why am I having this personal conversation? Everybody's up in my business now. And mm. it was very difficult to explain. You're essentially ex- having to choose between someone you love and not being able to properly explain why you're choosing not to take what they think is just a simple step so that they can stay. So it's as if you're betraying them very deeply. 
So it was, oh. it was very, very sick and evil is the only way I can describe it. And um, if I talk about it too much longer, I'll cry. <laughs> oh, God. See, these are the stories that, that you don't hear. No, no. Like, I've never Canadians heard that before. Don't hear this. And that's just one example of those stories. I mean, they went to that industry. There was one agency. I don't know how they managed to do it. I assume they fought back some way on some level and they ended up being exempt. So I don't know. So, um, but that also reminds me that some of the onus is on the agencies as well. Like you could have explained to the government that this is not okay. It's not easy to find appropriate homes for these people. So I can't imagine there's a long lineup of people to have people come in and live with them. Well, and you have like, to find a match too. You have to find the appropriate caregiver for the appropriate patient. And then the, they have to like each other. You have to like each other and get a good vibe for each other. So like I said, it takes months to to match somebody up, not six days to do so. so. And that's what they gave, six days. Yeah, of course, that was not possible to adhere to, but that would have been what needed to happen six days later. They were supposed to be out. This is so fascinating to learn this about you. Yeah, well, you know, um, I guess it was meant to be to share here because- you know, I've done a lot of reports on the attacks of healthcare workers, which, by the way, we're in a total healthcare worker crisis, and still thousands are not only are they not back at work, they're getting terminated. They're they're terminated from the industry. Most of the ones that I've stayed in contact with, the, the nurses, the frontline nurses, we were banging our pots and pans on. They're cleaning houses now, like instead of contributing to the crashing healthcare system. Meanwhile, the government is now saying they're going to invest millions into bringing in overseas healthcare workers that it will, it will take four or five, six years to even get them in a position to step into some of these roles. Mm -hmm. Like $12 million fast tracking, fast tracking. You you can't complete insanity, complete insanity. You go through that experience, you and the person you cared for both suffer firsthand Mm -hmm. from the mandates. I can see why you had a difficult time crafting yeah. Oh, yeah. Craft. I still can't craft to this day, honestly. Oh, it's awful. It's my mom years. was a big crafter, so we yeah. did like tons of crafts as kids. My mom was. So I, I appreciate that um, because it's sort of crafting is sort of meditative. Yeah. It was for me as a kid, anyways. It was for sure. Doing I paper- still craft with my kid. I should say that. Okay, that's good. But yeah, like homeschool to- mom too now. Are you really homeschool mom? Awesome. You're brave. Wow, you're into it all because that's one of the scariest <laughs> things out there. You know homeschool. too much though. <laughs> Oh my God. So, okay. So you, you can't craft because it feels now frivolous and unimportant in comparison to the the new things that you're now experiencing. You start going on Facebook and just tearing up a storm. Uh, Rebel news guy. I always forget his first name. Ezra. Ezra. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never met Ezra, but he seems like, I mean, a, a true badass, which I appreciate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's based out of Calgary. Uh, he's in Ontario. Um, he reaches out and said, like, what were you thinking? Had you, had you been aware of Rebel News? You know, I had watched Rebel News. And I remember uh, my now colleague, David Menzies, going to a Black and Indigenous uh, protest and getting roughed up and punched. And I thought, man, they could use some color on their team. They're sending <laughs> Menzies. <laughs> and two, it was two days later that Ezra actually messaged me. And uh I'm not like the the best at social media, even though I've been on social media and Twitter was a new beast. So I had asked my daughter to set up a Twitter account, I think the day before Ezra messaged me. So my response when he messaged me was that it was like fake. I didn't I didn't think it was really him. And and the day before a follower had said, hey, you should join Rebel News. So I 
I thought that the follower was pretending to be Ezra and messaging me because remember, I knew nothing about politics and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not the best speller either. And so I was <laughs> like, what? Um, but the, the really cool thing is when I had my first interview, um, I said to, to Ezra, I said, listen, I know I know nothing about anything. Like literally I can barely name the politicians. Now I've had a crash course. It's different. Um, but I said, but I do know that I, want, I don't want to be told how to do a story, how to spin a story and what emotion I'm supposed to have and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember he said, you know, that's the great thing about Rebel News is we are independent journalists and even our own journalists sometimes don't agree with each other and they're free to, you know, present it. Mm. So like, this is really great. You had this first meeting. Um, where did the meeting happen? In Vancouver or Toronto? It was a Zoom, and okay. then they flew me out to Toronto to meet the team and kind of have another interview, I guess. And then I had a probation week where it was like, see ya. And uh, go do a let's story. See, let's see what you can do. And I was uh, running around. I remember my first report, like the sound, because I didn't have like equipment yet. So, like the, the little mic that I had normally when I sat at home and did my craft videos, like unplugged from my phone. So, I had like it was a protest and I had like no sound except for the very first guy on the street. He was this, this, um, gorgeous smile, black man from America, strong accent. And he was a Trump supporter and he just happened to be walking downtown Vancouver and I just talked to him. So it ended up, he was so charismatic. That was my whole first report and it did so well. And I was like, thank you God for that one person. And I didn't even put up protest because I had no sound. So your story was interviewing this guy on the street. Yeah. And he was just so charismatic. It wasn't even funny. And so, yeah, that's, that's it. And I don't remember after that. And I was like stiff as a board because when you do videos about crafting, you're like, blah, 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 blah. But you know, there's this element where you have this burden of making sure you're telling the truth, of course, which I mean, you always do anyways, but like, and not defaming anyone, right. You don't want to be sued for what you're saying. Mm. Um, and then there's also just, you know, more people looking at you too. So I was so awkward in the beginning. I think I was anyways. Well, I mean, yeah. And, and plus you're walking around with this microphone, yeah. you know, and now it says like rebel news all around the side of it. Yeah. And people who don't watch rebel news have this impression of rebel news that it's this like extremist, uh, you know, it's all the things that Trudeau says. So that must be strange. Like what's it like walking around with that rebel news, mic and the camera crew yeah. and do you get a lot of heat? Yeah, we get a lot of heat. And I guess I have thick skin before doing this. So it's never really been an issue. Um, but yeah, it happens. I mean, it's always so nonsensical. It's not even funny. Like you'll have people, my cameraman is black and Japanese as well. Um, Matt Brevner. And so you'll have people go and they'll, they'll be like, oh, who are you with? And you'd be like Rebel News. And they're like, oh no, you guys are racist. And we're like, really? <laughs> like <laughs> like they, they don't even think. Like they can't even realize who they're speaking to. It's just like they speak before they think. Um, or, you know, just some of the stuff that they say, but then, you know, there's also the, this huge love, right? Like, I, I don't know what it's like for legacy media reporters, but there are a lot of people who love rebel news supporters. I mean, the hugs, um, you know, sometimes they'll just give money. Like they, these people love that there has been this voice that they can't find anywhere else. And that there truly is a media independent of the government. Mm. And, you know, the more oppressive the government 
becomes and the more attacks they've taken at Rebel News, the bigger Rebel News has gotten because so many people are realizing how important it is to have that independent media and to preserve that. So um, it's really rewarding. And to be honest, most of like the online trolls, I mean, I'm sure they pass me sometimes. They just don't say anything. You know, most of mm -hmm. the times, 98% of the times it's love unless you're, you know, physically asking someone on the street, then they might say something negative. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't really think anyone is walking by the six o'clock news anchor from, you know, CBC or, or CTV or whatever and going up to them and, and, oh my God, thank you. And hugging them in my years in, you know, mainstream radio, I had a lot of great love. I was yeah, showered with, sure. with people would always show their best selves to me over the years. And, and I was really lucky in that way. And it was a great experience, but oh my God, when I spoke out the love that you get when someone bumps in you on the street or a stranger just comes up to you at a restaurant and quickly whispers in your ear when you're having dinner with your family and they go like, you know, thanks for what you did. Yes. And they give a little squeeze in the shoulder and you look at them and you see like this, this, this love in your eyes, like this connection is unlike anything else. Well, that you happened know? when I interviewed you, you know? Oh, that's right. Remember? Yeah. That guy on the street. Oh my God. That was crazy. Just, like gave you a hug. And it was like, yeah, that is. Yeah. And that's what keeps you going. Right. Mm -hmm. Really. That's what keeps you going. Cause it would be so difficult if you didn't have that. So um, yeah, definitely more love. And and it's interesting because, again, as, as the government continued to get crazier, there would be there's more people who follow Rebel News that never dreamed they would before. There's a lot of people who uh, were NDP voters, liberal voters or, or whatever, and they they quickly realize that it's not what they thought. It's not what Wikipedia says. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's the most diverse company I've ever worked for. Uh, we just don't run around, you know, saying, hey, look at us. Look how diverse we are. LGBTQ card. Right. Like it's just we're just people. So what, what has been the wildest experience so far that you've had as a rebel news reporter well i mean there's a lot to choose from but i guess trudeau comes to mind quite a few times so um you know just how cowardly the prime minister is when it comes to answering questions i mean this isn't just a one-time thing this is every time you try to um cover um trudeau for people who don't know the history of rebel news and trudeau we have, I believe, four different lawsuits against them, two, two which we have won, where he tries to infringe upon freedom of press. So he refused our entry to uh, the election debates twice, because God forbid we ask him a question. And we actually have to go to the courts and get a court order to get in there to ask questions that Canadians deserve to hear. And then when you get in there, he yeah. refuses to answer and, the... And I remember that video going viral. Yeah, exactly. We will not, I will not oh, answer you. There's more to that. He he totally, I don't know if it's a script. He's a drama teacher. Who knows? Maybe he did some improv. But what people couldn't see is that not only did, um, you know, Alexa have to basically go to the courts to get in there, but they changed the rules once she was in. Well, uh, let me stay, step back. You had to get a PCR test, but because this all happened so fast, she could only get the... I don't know, the rapid one, the really fast one. So she gets there and they go, no, we're not going to accept this with a court order. And she's like, I have a court order. So they had to go back. Our lawyers had to go back to the judge and get another thing, like let her in. Then she gets in and they change the rules. And then they go for the first time, they go, no follow-up questions. Well, and 10 of us are on the phone trying to call into like, what's that about? So sure enough, he gives his speech, says we're misinformation. We're putting kids at risk and yada, yada, yada. And the no follow-up questions is so that it clicks, like the mic turns off right away so Alexa can't respond, to which she would have said, actually, I'm a scientist. Thank you very much. But 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? So didn't that show how terrified yeah, they are of having anyone else hear well, yeah. or poke holes in the story or speak some common sense? It, it's very concerning. And and so back to your question about my experiences, like with trying to cover him and and get stories. Like one time, um, he was at Lafarge Lake in Coquitlam. <laughs> and I get into the media pit and the head of security detail or the prime minister comes up. His job isn't to see if I have guns or whatever. I'm not a risk, obviously. He comes up to ask if I'm going to ask hard questions to the prime minister. The head of security detail. I mean, what's going on here? That wouldn't even be his department. No, <laughs> right? And I said, of course, that's what we do. And then sure enough, they don't let you on the mic or whatever. Um, and then I, I did end up, um, asking him at the time there had been 20 burnt and vandalized churches. And mm. like, I want to say like within a month, right. It was very obvious. These were attacks against Christian places of worship. And he, in his speech that he had just said, he said, you know, we've done past wrongs and in Canada. And I said, well, when will you address the wrongs that are happening right now? There's been 20 burnt and vandalized churches. When will you call that? an act of hate or terror because you know he loves calling other things acts of, of hate or terror of course right and it's 68 churches now like it ended up being 68 that were burnt and vandalized wow. within a span of 2 months and so he never called that an act of hate or terror and there were christian communities that were terrified there was a family inside of the church at one point so um i instead of answering my question he he kind of goes like this and then, or he puts his hand up and then he poses for a selfie and his big bad security detail or pick me up and remove me. And I remember like, seeing that online going, yeah. oh my God, just like kind of shoved you out of the way. Right. It's like, I'm not a risk. I wasn't even beside that. Like I was, there was a distance and it's like, that's their job is just to defend him from questions. So. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. Shameful. Really. <laughs> Shameful. <laughs> Shocking. What are the stories that you're following now that seem to be like really firing up the most? Um, well, we have a documentary coming out pretty quick here. Um, myself and Matt Brevner about the discovery that was reported at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. And I think that that's going to be an interesting one for people to watch mm. because what was told to the public was not factual. So that's coming up. Is, is this on your own or through Rebel News? or through Rebel News. Rebel, okay. And so... When you say it's not factual. Yes. Can you give us a little teaser, a little hint on what, what that means? Well, obviously abuses took place at residential schools. And if you saw my first report on it, it was sort of like a mini doc in the first place. And we kind of asked a, a lot of questions that no reporter seemed to be asking at the time. Like, I'm sorry, but how did you determine there were 215 bodies of children with ground penetrating radar? There's nothing I can read that would show that that would be possible with that. And who is the, at the time, the unnamed uh, expert who did it? Um, so I was asking questions and trying to get those very simple answers because the world was grieving, understandably, and politicians were alluding it to it being a massacre. Jagmeet Singh said it was a mass grave. News outlets said it was a mass grave. It was never a mass grave. Because, um, yeah, once you are on to the fact that the mainstream, you know, legacy media is lying right. about a lot of stuff, yeah. yeah, suddenly why would we just take the word 
right. of CBC, for example, on this story. Like, yeah, we really should be diving into every story to see what's true and what's being twisted and, right. and why are stories being changed? Yeah. What motive? And it was, a, you know, obviously a sensitive matter. And so there was some grace for that. I, it took three weeks to put that report out because at first they were saying, you know, the RCMP were saying, sorry, we're leaving the investigation up to the band. The BC coroners was saying, sorry, we're leaving the investigation up to the band and the band wouldn't respond to me. But there was, you know, grace. And so I took three weeks to get the report up to give them enough time to respond. So I couldn't get any answers at that time. And so it's been a year later and there should be more answers. And so that's what the documentary is about. And you get answers. We do. We do hmm. get answers. So bum, bum, bum. <laughs> that will be coming up soon. And then I don't know if people are noticing this. This is crazy and it's controversial, but my emails are blowing up with disturbing books um, being read to children in elementary schools. I've done one, one report on this um, where children as young as four and five in junior kindergarten in BC were sent home with an assignment on where to masturbate in their home. Um, but it's out of control, like the emails I'm getting and things like that. So I'm, I'm looking into that and tackling in who's, who's picking these books. Why are they in here? What's happening? Where's this push coming from? And, um, you know, whatever you think about it, there are drag queens doing story times or preparing to do story times in public libraries to children. And there's a lot of parents who aren't bigots, but are very concerned about this because drag queen events are usually for adults in a club at night where a lot of things you don't want your kids to see. There's a video of a, of a drag queen went viral yeah. like last week. I think I know. Yeah. Maybe you've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it, yeah. but it's a drag queen yeah. saying, Hey, what did a drag queen ever really do yes. to earn right. that much of your respect that you want us to be hanging out with your kids? Mm-hmm. He's like, let me tell you what it's like. I'm a drag queen. It's raunchy, sexual at these shows, you know, with nudity, mm-hmm. we, we, we hang out backstage and it's sex, drugs, rock and roll, yeah. all sorts of stuff. He's like, why would you want us introducing that lifestyle to your children? Yeah. It's a fair question. It's sexual. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, you wouldn't want an exotic dancer of any type yeah. performing for your kids. So why would this be okay? So that, I'm also flying out to Halifax. I don't know if you saw that um, there's evidence to support that the RCMP commissioner, Brenda Lucky, um, sort of made a deal to, oh, I don't, I want to get my wording right here. This is with the defamation mm-hmm. stuff, uh, but basically made a deal with the prime minister that they would sort of play up the Nova Scotia mass shooting um, to help with the gun control Mm. that we're seeing happening here. So those are allegations right now. So I'm going to look into that and and bring people the reports on that. But there is uh, really good information that supports that that was the case, that there was a deal made. And those were not illegal or sorry, those were not legal guns that were used. He did not use legal guns to do that mass shooting. But right away, it was like, okay, well, we're putting a ban on these guns for legal, law-abiding gun owners. For you, how tough is it to put out a story and need to find absolute proof? Mm-hmm. Or can you pose questions? What's that process yeah, like? Yeah, of course you can pose questions. And <clears throat> Rebel News also has a very high standard editorially because in addition to being journalists, we always have our back against the wall. you know, And so we go over and above to prove that we are not just making things up. So it's like this extra standard of, no, we don't spread misinformation. You can say that, but prove it. Proving it is a different thing, which 
Trudeau wasn't able to do when they used taxpayer dollars to follow us for a year. But anyways, mm. um, so there's there's a very high level of standards. And plus, Rebel News makes sure that we are always trained in defamation law. So um, we regularly have meetings about that and lawyers speak to us about that. And I, I think even you could be at risk if you really went for someone and you said something that wasn't true or whatnot. Um, or you didn't give them the opportunity to tell the truth in, in case you were mixed up. So that's mm -hmm. one of the a big thing with journalism. If you're going to go for someone, make sure you have your facts straight and make sure you reach out to them as well. Interesting. You know, just in case you're wrong, right? So like for me personally, I think it was CTV who did a story on me when I was, when I made my speech about being against the mandates mm -hmm. on the radio. Now they had said, we reached out for a kid for a comment on this story and we, got no response now they never reached out to me really so that's is a lie <laughs> is, is that uh allowed because i kind of laughed and went really well, it certainly wouldn't fare well um in court if if i mean if they defamed you and then you took them to court that would be a huge problem actually rebel news just won another case we a lot of lawsuits at Rebel, um, where a BC journalist, I'm forgetting his name, it was before I, I worked with Rebel, but he lied and he said that Rebel News stole some of the money because we do activism and crowdfund for things. And I think it was for the Fort Mac fires. And he just lied and said that uh, we took some of the money. It was just like a blatant lie. I don't know if someone gave him bad information or whatever. So Rebel News took him to court because that's so damning. And um, yeah, he just lost. He just lost. And uh, it, it was just not true, not factual. And he didn't reach out to the other side. So if, if they're saying they reached out and they don't have the proof of it, I mean, perhaps they emailed you in an old me email or something like maybe they did, but you never got it. That's a possibility. Mm. And so they're like, look, we reached out. But I would, you know, if they really didn't, that's super strange and it would not farewell in court for sure bizarre yeah i was wondering what uh, i guess i gotta go check them all my old email accounts <laughs> did they defame you though or well i don't know they just they, you know i guess it's not defaming they, just, they said i wanted a conspiracy rant so i guess it was true <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so you're 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 living this you're doing this gig you're covering all the stories one of the most recognizable faces what's your actual role are you like the, because I think you cover all of BC? I'm the BC Bureau Chief Reporter. Mm -hmm. um, so we do have a, a couple of other journalists. There's about a team of five out here. And I'm also, I sit on the board of directors as well. Awesome. So, yeah, I kind of, there was no rebel in BC before I started and it's growing. <laughs> so now what? It's summertime. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are curious about what might happen in the fall. Where do you personally stand on, uh, are, you, are you nervous? Are you preparing in some sort of way? What's? Well, you know, I'm trying to take a good vacation. <laughs> right. <laughs> to sort of rest up for the fall. Cause I'm are you feeling like this that summer? too. This I'm, summer? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to get to Mexico. Well, we booked, we booked Mexico, good. but um, I feel like I need to rest up for the fall. I mean, I, it's not like I'm getting a chance to rest, but I think that that's important. I mean, you can see that nothing is really stopping. They're pushing, they're trying to push through uh, Bill C-11, right? The the online social media censorship. They wouldn't even have a discussion about it in Parliament. Um, 
so you can see that there's just all this stuff happening. I, I really don't think they've taken their foot off the gas. But we also have some very exciting lawsuits coming up. I've reported on five specific to British Columbia that are related to vaccine passports and vaccine mandates. And last I checked, the legacy media didn't cover any of them, not even one. Like, And they were in Supreme Court. So it, British Columbians are not even getting that information. I think I'm really, the only journalist covering them. It's really going to make you think. Yeah. Like you it, think you're turning into the news, uh, the, the quote unquote news, to find out what's going on. I mean, vaccine passports have affected every single one of us in some way. The fact that they're not talking about it has got to wake up the rest of the people. And these cases are so important. I think it's waking up the judges. One judge ruled on four, or hasn't ruled yet. We're still waiting. Chief Justice Hinkson, but he heard four of the matters. And I swear I could see from the beginning to end the transition of him going like he didn't say this. So this is just my impression based on, you know, the little he does say um, he hadn't heard some of that stuff. He in the first two cases was very uh, he did not believe it was possible that doctors were scared to write vaccine exemptions. In the first one, he was like, we, the patients are telling me this. But where's the proof? And then the second one, which was a, a uh, one that Rebel News supporters chipped in um, to make happen through the Democracy Fund, they actually had a doctor, Dr. Sclater, a family doctor, sign an affidavit to say, yeah, it's very intimidating when you have a patient who you don't think should get this vaccine for the variety of reasons. It's scary to write it because of the threats they've had from the licensing bodies and things like that. Um, wow. You can tell that um, Chief Hinkson had never heard um, the chief medical health officer from Vancouver Coastal Health, Patty Daly, when she said vaccine passports are not because we're seeing spread in restaurants or gyms or anything like that. We're not seeing spread in those places. They are simply to uh, up the vaccination. They're just an incentive to vaccinate people. Well, the opposite end of that is they're a punishment for those who don't mm -hmm. vaccine. It has nothing to do with the spread. And you could tell he hadn't heard that the first time it was brought up. And he was like, well, who's Patty Daly? What is her authority when he was talking to Bonnie Henry's doc or lawyers? Um, and they were like playing dumb. Oh, we're not sure. We don't think she has much authority. But then by case four, when they tried that same excuse, because it's the same lawyers, he had done his research then or read whatever is in front of him. And he goes, no, Patty Daly is the doctor in charge of the largest health region in the, the province. So if she doesn't know what she's talking about, what is she doing in that role? So he went from not knowing who she is, never hearing anything. Obviously, who is this like judge? That. Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson. Christopher Hinkson. Yeah, he's the same justice who ruled back when three churches and a peaceful protester, um, you know, the churches wanted to be open during lockdown. They were socially distancing and, and splitting up to three services instead of packing everybody in. And uh, so three of them wanted to say, hey, we should be able to open for freedom of religion. And one peaceful protester got fined and said, hey, I should be able to peacefully protest without being fined. And Justice Hinkson ruled that the churches remain closed, but that British Columbians can peacefully protest during COVID. Hmm. It's like a win and a loss. Yeah, and the churches are appealing. So. Wow. But anyway, so there's a lot of stuff coming in the fall. And, and Brian Peckford, the last living first minister who uh, helped shape Canada's uh, constitution by doing the charter of rights and freedoms he has a lawsuit against the travel ban and uh, it's looking promising it's looking exciting it's going to be heard in september i won't 
personally be covering that because it's not in BC, but um, Rebel News absolutely will. And I've already interviewed Brian when I saw him in Victoria. But um, basically, uh, the the lawyers for the government reached out and said, hey, let's drop this because the band is is <laughs> over. And they were like, absolutely no, not all. And through cross-examination, so before it's being heard, they were able to get the so-called uh, epidemiologist who the government, you know, when Trudeau says, oh, we're trust the science, trust the science. Well, they admitted that they never supported uh, vaccine mandates for travel. They said there was no scientific reason to do it. So oh that is exciting that that's happening in the fall. And so a lot of information is finally getting out there. And it's a shame the legacy media won't tell the people about it because they're never going to know the other side of the story. And and their heads would pop if we actually see a win for freedom. Their heads are going to pop. They're not going to understand how we got from A to C. You know what I mean? I end up thinking, okay, well, these little court cases that are happening in Canada, when I look at it from like 50,000 feet up, I go, okay, well, there's an agenda much higher than that where Justin Trudeau is some sort of puppet. He's got his homework assignment and he's got to keep, you know, Daddy Schwab happy <laughs> with, uh, you know, getting, okay, you, you get Canada in line and we'll get all these other young global leaders, you know, uh, graduates in line as well. So that, in a way, I, I try to keep a positive attitude, but I also think I get a little bit discouraged or I guess I feel like yeah. the judges will all at some point be bought and paid for. And the end result will be that, listen, Canada is going to end up being what we fear it could become, as well as all these other countries. Yeah. I don't know. What's your, what's your take on that? Well, you know, I go not to be a Debbie Downer. No, but, no, no. You know. I go through all the same emotions. Currently, I'm very hopeful. <laughs> but that doesn't Good. mean in two weeks, I, I won't be. And one of the questions I always ask the lawyers that I come across that are fighting these cases or working on these cases or, you know, just talking to me in general, um, I always ask if they've lost faith in the justice system and they always say no so that's good and i'll bring it back to rebel news winning twice in supreme court against the prime minister so you know perhaps we can theorize that some judges are compromised and i'm sure that's true in any industry but if there are so many cases which there are happening at once perhaps we'll see mm. in lots encouraging and there was a really good ruling out of Ontario and family. I think it was Ontario. Forgive me again. I didn't cover it because I'm in BC, but um, I think it was family law for a parent who wanted to see their kid when they weren't vaccinated. And that judge did a really good ruling about like, what the heck is happening in Canada? This is even a thing. But um, so I think it's just, yeah, you keep trying, you mm. keep trying, keep trying, and hopefully we get a good legal precedent. But Things are moving very fast and court cases do not move fast. So that's the downside. I keep seeing like these memes, not to see I get all my news from memes, <laughs> but I'd say a, a healthy <laughs> percentage are like, you know, it's the beginning of the end for Justin Trudeau. I think there's even been some articles in like the Toronto Sun and various the like Globe and Mail and, and legacy media, which is strange, mm -hmm. but saying, you know, or suggesting that it's possible that this is the beginning of the end for Justin Trudeau. Have you dove into some of those stories? You know, it, it's hard to say. I mean, I do feel like things are not going quite as planned. Um, and we are seeing evidence of that, even with getting COVID again and the mandate dropping. God, I loved your little rant <laughs> on with IG, I think. Oh, oh, a second time. And you yeah, did a little thing. Ridiculous. It was great. <laughs> I watched it about five times. <laughs> you know, it's just like... <laughs> 
it's, you can't make this stuff up. And then Fauci next, I was waiting for Tam and I was going to ask, where was the spin the bottle party and why wasn't I invited? Because what's <laughs> going on here? But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it appears to be that way. But if we're going to theorize that there is forces behind the prime minister, well, that's something we can't see directly. We don't yeah. know what plans are yeah. happening there. I got to finally ask you about your new show. Okay. Are we are we allowed to talk about this? Because you you mentioned off the air you had something cooking up. We can skip over it, or we can. I, I want to hear. I want to pry. Teaser. A little teaser. Yeah, you know, we could talk about okay. it. What are you working on? It. So it's called prepping and politics. Okay. And basically, it's kind of what we just talked about. Are people ready for what's coming in the fall or next? I'm personally not ready. I've tried. I've gotten you know food storage and things like that, but it doesn't feel like enough. So basically, I'm going to have an expert on every single week to just whether it be help you save money, help you, um, you know, potentially save your life or help you just not go insane in rising inflation and things like that and just be very creative so that we can get prepared together. And I think it's going to be super fun. And I'm really excited because I'm not able to do the crafting. Um, you know, I'm excited for people to see my personality a little bit more because I mean, when you're talking about such deep stuff in reports, I mean, we can't all be David Menzies, who's super funny while he does it. But right. <laughs> I'm excited to just be me while we're learning together. And so, um, yeah, it is for now. Just the page with no videos is up on YouTube and it will be all over social media. Uh, so prepping in politics. And I think I gave you the link, too. That's a, a thing that I think about a lot. Yeah, I actually think more about prepping than I do actually prepping. I do too. Because I, it's a time thing. It's right? a time thing, and I and I get I get um, anxious about it. And you know, we have kids, and you start to you know, I, I feel like I don't even know where to start when it comes to prepping. So I think it's a genius idea to yeah. do that. I've dived into some things, and my garden's doing better than two years ago. Because in 2020, I thought we were going to have no food. So <laughs> I guess I was two years, three years too early. Right. Well, that's good. Now but, you got the whole. Yeah. Do you worry about food shortages? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's already happening. So it is something everybody should be worried about, really. Wow. Because, yeah. yeah, the price of groceries has skyrocketed. Absolutely. Um, the cost to feed chickens and animals has skyrocketed. So what are, you doing? what are you doing about the food? That actually freaks me out. Yeah. Well, are you like, are you if like, you watch my okay, show, you will know. I'll have to tune but in to no, find out. I, we have done the whole, you know, the buckets and the, the Mylar, Nylar bags or whatever. You'll learn really quickly on the show. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's why there's an expert. But um, I think they're called Mylar bags. And so you can actually do food storage for up to 30 years. And, you know, whether it's Krauss Schwab's agenda or in an earthquake or whatever, you just have that sitting um, in your garage or crawl space or whatever, and you're kind of good to go if something does go down. Um, <clears throat> so we've done that. And then just learning how to grow our own food and canning is something that I bought the equipment for, but never actually did. So <laughs> you, bought a can you bought a canner? Yeah, it just sits there and haunts me like you're not doing it. You oh said you would. So that will, you know, that will be one of the episodes. But also, also, I've got booked, um, you know, an expert in um, Ramaga, like some kind of fighting technique or whatever. Like oh my you have God. To take someone down with your hands. This is how you do it. And if you're small and you're a woman, and to be honest, he already taught me if, if a man's choking, what I'm supposed to do. And it seemed like it worked. So wow. um, that's one of the episodes too. So it's just, it's going to be very broad survival prepping and talking about the political agendas that are pushing us in a direction, whether we like that or not and how to be best prepared. I love that. And the government has proven that they are not there to protect your family. I hate to bring up the mask again, but again, in January, I stocked up on 
N95s. And then months later, the government was like, if you have N95s, you need to give them away to other people. And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, I did the math. Like I read the studies. They don't really work, but maybe for five minutes. And if I make them fit properly. But I said, no, I, I did what I was supposed to do to take care of my family. Now you're going to tell me to do my part. I should do your job. And I know that sounds selfish to some people, but that was my attitude. And also then I found out, you know, the government had thrown away millions of PPE, not replaced it the year before. I mean, so don't expect them to have a reserve of food. China has a reserve of food, which mm. is a red flag, right? They've got a ton of grain they're just storing. What's that about? So, um, but don't count on Canada to be prepared, you know, in an emergency. I feel like everything I knew about Canada growing up was, it was like a, a liar <laughs> propaganda. It's awful. And like, I have these fantasies of, of leaving. And uh, I'm so conflicted with that because, um, you know, this is my country and yeah. I want to stand up and I want to fight for it. Yeah. But I've also got kids that don't deserve another long, cold, rainy, lockdown, uh, you know, winter. They also don't deserve to walk around and see everyone's faces covered up. I mean, like my four-year-old, yeah. he was a baby. It's all he's known now. You know, that starts to happen. You go, oh my God, like this is... Uh... But have you met amazing people? Like I was able to live somewhat of a normal life over the whole thing, even in the lockdown, because I met all these people who were just not having it. So, you know, my teen, she obviously had to experience that. She goes to public school, but my little guy was not really around mass people and he had such a good social life. How do people find you? Um, we don't want to miss this new show you're doing. No. And because there's no videos, you can't actually search it, but I think you're putting it on your website. I think that's what your notes said. <laughs> your show? Yeah, I put the link there. You said it will show up when the show. I don't know. I will put it everywhere. Okay, so if that's can if I'm allowed to, on the yeah. Link right now because you won't find it on search just because there's no video. Um, and of course it's not just going to be on YouTube, which is a huge. What question. do you mean there's no video? Like I haven't done a sh an episode yet. The episodes okay. are being filmed and stuff. You have right a now. page. I have a. But there's page, no content yet. So you can't search it. But they can press the link and subscribe so that they don't miss it. Okay. Um. And this is a YouTube or a website. That's YouTube right now and the website. So it's very fresh, but the launch date is the third week of next month. So I love happen. breaking news. Yeah, this I is know. great. It's now breaking. I know what it's, it's this breaking. is what it feels like to be you now every I day. Go tell Rebel News. <laughs> I moved no, I'm just joking. Um, but yeah, no. So I mean, I don't know when this is going to air, but maybe it won't be as long of a wait for them. Um, and then I'm ranting on Twitter, trying to be more active on Instagram. Um, so you can find me on the usual places. And of course, Rebel News. Rebel News is where I'm giving the reports that I put my my heart into. If you want to know the other side of the story with the latest things and the rabbit holes I'm going down, which should be interesting, uh, you can go to rebelnews.com. You can search Rebel News Drea and you'll see my most recent uh, reports as well. Well, this has been great. Yeah, it was. I appreciate fun. it. I love and, learning and more about I you. I like that. We did this. I always listen to you. I always loved listening to Kit Carson. Oh, thank you. The people in positions that you had, like of influence, that have been quiet. I mean, for so long. And there's a period of time where it's like, whatever. We all felt that. But that really is what's going to contribute to the fall of Canada if it falls, right? Mm -hmm. It's just simply people not saying what they thought. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, I'm sure you encourage way more people to speak out. And I think that that's happening. Like there's a lot more people who are like just kind of done with some of these agendas. So, mm. so it should be interesting. Well, I'm grateful for what you do at Rebel News. And I'm grateful for Rebel News because really, where else are you going to get your info from? You're not going to get it from 
CBC or CTV or global. You're just not, you know, truth or pages on Instagram. But then there's such a mix of like what's real, what's not. It's hard yeah. to sift through it. Um, but it's it's nice to hear that, that Rebel has sort of like a, a strict guideline to how yeah, they yeah. present news and it's professional. And um, yeah, and it really is great. Anyways, great to have Thank this chat. You. Great to learn about the woman behind the mic. <laughs> you know? Thanks for yeah. allowing me to do so. Drea, you're the best. High five. Right. Look at that. Take oh, you're care. The best. Take care. Save Canada. Save Canada. <laughs>